It is wonderful to be here with you this morning and we're now into week six of a series called Live that uh, we've been uh, working our way through the book of Philippians and if you've got your scriptures uh, and you want to follow you can read your own but it will be on the screen in front of you or if you're watching online uh, it'll be on the bottom of your screens. Today we, we've reached chapter four. And I've got to say that chapter 4 seems to be, Philippians 4, seems to be one of those chapters that has so many well-quoted verses, right? There's a lot of uh, good verses that Paul mentions in this letter that many of us memorised over many years and they keep cropping up all over the place. Um, But I've got to say that today's not one of those. We're not going to get to those well-known verses today. Um, the book of, of Philippians is really a book of, en- <clears throat> excuse me, a book of encouragement, and uh, there's, there's, it's just Paul expressing his love for the church and how they have helped him and supported him through the ministry, and it's his way of acknowledging that. And there's very little, as opposed to the book of Colossians and Corinthians. Of, of correction in his letter to the Philippians. However, there is something today. Um, of all the, of all the, the entire letter, uh, today I just want to, re- there's just a small chink in the armour of the Philippian church that Paul does address um, and ever so well. And while it's only a couple of verses, I believe there are many principles. Actually, we're going to pick three, but I think there's more. Um, principles that we can take away on an issue that affects all of us at some point, particularly if you've been involved in a church at any time. So we're going to start off today and uh, we're reading from Philippians 4. We're just going to read verses 1 through to 3. So a total of four verses, and it starts with the word therefore, and we will see why it's therefore. But therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who laboured with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. May God add his understanding to that. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And as we unpack just these couple of verses now, I pray that you would give us wisdom, help us to have a soft heart and an open mind as uh, you'd begin the work in us. Bless this time now, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, just to help us a little bit in these couple of verses, it appears that there's not a lot there. Um, I disagree, but you'll pick up that hopefully as we go through. And to make it even harder, or to make it less clear, the first verse actually comes off the back of the previous chapter. That's what the word therefore is there for. It's it's a summary of all the stuff that Paul has just been talking about. And if you read back towards the end of chapter 3, that's where Paul is saying, you know, I press on, I am keep going, remain firm, don't give up. 
And then he comes to chapter 4 and it says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord. It was a summary verse for what had happened in chapter 3. And the reality is that when Paul wrote this letter, he did not put chapters and verses in his letter. Does anyone do that? Good, because you probably don't write letters. I think that's the only reason. Um, but the chapters and verse idea came much, much later. Um, from what I've done, a little bit of research, and it was inspired by a conversation earlier in the week from me, um, around 1227 AD was the approximate year that chapters and verses were put into uh, the, the scriptures that we have. Some of them are, are poorly placed. There's no question about that. They cut off mid-thought. Mid um, the chapters like this one, the, the verse 1, is actually should be part of chapter 3. But reality is, um, overall, the chapter and verse divisions are really helpful for us to actually learn and to find Scripture passages fast and easily. So it's, it's not something that was written in the original text that was all written without those helps. Um, they are a modern day, more, more modern day, help for us as God's uh, people to find what we need to be finding quickly. So verse 1, I'm not going to deal with that today because I feel that last week we talked about that. So this morning I want to really come and, and focus in on verses 2 and 3. And what we find in verses 2 and 3 are two women who are not getting along. That's unlike women. Um, it's unlike men, because we all get along, right? Right? No, we don't. Who are you kidding? Uh, we don't. We, and, the, and what I think is the principles that we can learn from these couple of verses is really applicable for us because I think we've all been stuck here at, in some way. Whether you're male or female, this is not about women. So men, don't just, you know, it's that woman you gave me, Lord, context. It's not that. But we have these two women who have, and um, we've not been given any clue to the issue that was happening at this moment in time. Only that it, in somewhere, somehow, uh, Euodia and Synergy have had a disagreement. It could have been a bunch of things. You know, um, bringing it into our context of, of culture, uh, Euodia may have had a disagreement with over how the, the food should have been served. No one ever disagrees with those sorts of things. Or Euodia may have been hurt because she'd told Synergy things that then she'd heard back from someone else and it was private information and she got upset and disappointed that, that she'd spoken out of turn. Maybe Synergy's children had been playing along with Euodia's children and the kids had had a disagreement and so that brought the parents into a bit of a, an argument. I don't know. And it doesn't really matter. But I know that those types of things could have been the problem because I know they're the kinds of things that happen today. Anyone, and there's a bunch of other things, you can imagine things that they could have been upset with. So we can easily see how something said or something done or insinuated along the way has brought uh, these two women into having an unresolved conflict. 
And we know it's unresolved because Paul is actually talking about it. So it's, it's something that's ongoing. And the problem here is, and this is perhaps one of the things you can write down if you've got sermon notes um, today, unresolved conflict will zap the joy out of church. It will. Unresolved conflict will take away joy in an instant out of a church. Unresolved conflict can stunt the, the growth, the spiritual growth of a church. Well, not just spiritual, physical as well. Unresolved conflict can divide and will divide a church. And it will disrupt the work of the church that the church is meant to do in its community. If there is unresolved conflict, the effectiveness of church diminishes. And it's important that we understand how to deal with that. And while I've said before, today is about two women, the issue is not restricted to women. It can happen between anyone at any time for any reason. It doesn't even have to be a big important reason, it seems, for us to get offside with another person. But Euodia and Synergy serve as an example of how we should be, or at least Paul's uh, instruction serve as an instruction of how we need to deal with differences within the church. So if you're following along in your sermon notes and you want to fill in blanks, the first point that I, you can, or the first blank you can fill in on that is the importance and recognizing that restoring peace is a high priority. It should be the highest priority within the context of the body of believers that we live at peace with one another. And we, we pick up this, Paul's suggesting this from what he says right up front because he uses a very strong word. He says, I implore you, Odia, and I implore Synergy to be of the same mind. I'm urging you. It's, it's really another way of saying, I plead with you or I beg you both of you, be of the same mind and, and to come to some agreement over whatever it is that they're having a problem with. And Paul has made this quite clear right at the outset and not just in, in the book of Philippians. He doesn't talk about having this one mind concept. He talks about it in the book of Ephesians. He, he says in Ephesians 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called with all loneliness, gentleness, long-suffering, or another word for that is patience, Bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So this is an ongoing theme from, from Paul and he's, it's even a requirement or he sees it as a necessity in the book of Philippians. Restoring peace and keeping the peace is absolutely critical for us as Christ followers if we are to be faithful to the word of God. We read, about it in, we read about it in week two. In Philippians 1, it says, Only let your conduct, this is Paul in the same book, be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come or, or to see you or I'm absent, that I might hear of your affairs, that you would stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. There it is again at the beginning of this book. One spirit, 
one mind, unity of the Spirit across the church. That's what, that's what Paul's heart is. And what Paul was encouraging uh, across the church of Philippi at that moment, regardless of what was happening anywhere else, whatever else was going on, the, one of the most important things that we, they needed to be able to do was to recognise that keeping or restoring peace was of the utmost importance. It was the highest a priority. Because disunity within the church not only divides the church, it will divide the church significantly, but it doesn't only divide the church. It disrupts the ministry or the calling of a particular church within its community as well and beyond. And you know that. <clears throat> I know that. Look at some of the, the high-profile churches when there is a problem. What does it do to the Christian community and the, and the community at large? It disrupts trust. It takes away integrity. It disregards all of those things that the church is supposed to stand for. And it breaks down what God is intending the church to achieve. And when we do not work... And it is a work at being of the same mind. What happens is that we do one of two things. If we are sens not sensitive to what we should be doing, we either withdraw and pull back. If we've been offended or upset or in a disagreement, we'll, we'll either pull back and withdraw. Whether we're in, If we're in ministry, we'll pull out of ministry. If we're not, we'll just stay silent. Or we give or end or give up and leave and we'll, the, the church no matter what of those two outcomes comes by is divided it's disrupted the work or the call of ministry that God has brought upon a church is disrupted because or if uh, the disunity is not dealt with and that's why Paul's so uh, firm in this neither of those two responses by the way are biblical responses Nowhere does, does it teach us that that is the way that we are to act because it's God's desire. In fact, it's more than God's desire. It's his will that we always seek reconciliation. That's his, his love for mankind is that we would be reconciled first to himself and live in peace under the, the banner of reconciliation with, with each other. And interestingly enough, though, Paul, or, the, or at least the way Paul writes this, is not laying blame on either of these women. He doesn't pick one out and says, you're wrong. He doesn't say to them that you need to sort this out with, with the other one. He, he implores Euodia and he implores Syntyche. He, he lays in what he's saying blame equally on both these women. But the reality is, that, and, and as a result of that, each one is responsible for bringing unity into the fellowship. It means what Paul is saying is that, you know, both of you work this out. This is not the right way. It's not appropriate for those who call themselves Christ followers, who call themselves a Christian, it's time to sit down and work this out together. And no one's to blame. He doesn't put blame on anyone. And it's even possible, I think, that Paul knew who was at, blame, at fault. 
I'm pretty confident that Paul knew what was going on at that moment in time. At least he probably knew how it started because the very fact that it had become an issue so big that Paul had found out about it while he was in prison tells me it's a pretty public thing. He's not the pastor of the church. He's not attending the church. He's heard it in prison, chained up. That's where he's writing the book of Philippians from. So he's hearing this from in chains, and I'm confident that Paul knew what was going on, even though he doesn't state it in the book of Philippians. And it's, it's clear, I think, that Paul doesn't want to lay blame because he sees the issue is not it's not about blame and that's one of the problems that we always tend to fall into well who's at fault go and sort it out get it right when reality is sometimes it's not a not a blame game at all it's just we've got a disagreement or a or a misunderstanding it gains nothing for the big picture to 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 hold on and or to pull back or end up leaving. What Paul is encouraging these two women to do is to sort out the problem, get yourselves back on track so that the unity of the faith can continue. At the very least, at the very least of this, although he doesn't use these words, agree to disagree. Agree to disagree and put the disagreement behind because it is or at least it will affect the ministry that we are trying to achieve here in this church at Philippi. And I think the reason that Paul doesn't mention the issue is because the issue is really irrelevant. It's not about what the problem was at all. The thing is that most disagreements, and I mentioned this at our small group the other night, that the, the most disagreements within the church are not over heresy. They're not about erroneous teaching. Most of the disagreements in church are not those things. If it was, maybe you would have a reason or at least a step towards leaving because if there's erroneous teaching, that needs to be fixed. But most disagreements within the church are not about that. And so the issue is kind of irrelevant. If it's not about heresy then if, her- if we need to be careful that we need to pers- persevere, Paul has given us this in this, chapter, in this book as well, persevere to the end. Work through it. Don't bring disunity into the body of Christ. But anything else other than heresy needs to be a work in progress towards reconciliation. Unless the gospel is at stake. We need to be making it a priority to be at peace with one another and to be of one mind. The law of love is what we need to always have and make a priority in our relationship with one another. And Paul again uh, was addressing much the same thing when he was talking to the church at Rome. In Romans 14, he says, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. That's the pursuit of the Christ follower is to pursue peace and edification or the lifting up or the, the benefiting of one another. And so if, if anyone here 
is struggling in, in this something in this kind of an area this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to actually more than encourage, urge you to do whatever is necessary. Talk to one another. Talk, if the other one clearly doesn't know what's going on, talk to each other. And do whatever is necessary so that there can be of one mind and that the gospel will not be hindered in the process because ultimately that's the only loser in this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, restore peace. It's the highest priority that we have as Christians. Secondly, unresolved conflict affects our Christian witness. Unresolved conflict affects our Christian witness. Now, this is the only place in Scripture where Euodia and Synergy are mentioned. They're not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. We have no other understanding of their background. We don't know of the relationship. We do know that they're in the same church. Uh, we do know that they had worked tirelessly and directly with Paul to spread the gospel. He tells us that, that they've been faithful workers with him. We know that they were on his ministry team. But to what extent, we really don't know the answer to that. We also do know, though, in Acts chapter 16, um, somewhere around the verses 11 to 13, I think it is, but in Acts chapter 16, Luke writes or speaks about a women's prayer meeting in Philippi that Paul attended. He met up with the women at a prayer meeting. And it's possible, I even think it's more than possible, I think it's probable that Euodia and Synergy were probably part of that prayer meeting since they had then gone on to help Paul in ministry. I believe that he probably had met them at that point. Again, I don't know for certain, but it seems plausible that that might be one of the ways that they'd come into the whole uh, scenario. And the one thing we do know for sure is, though, that these two women were at odds with one another over something. It's, it's likely... Uh, and it's, it's clear from what we read that the brawl or the disagreement is very public now. Seeing Paul has heard it, um, it's clearly that it's around the whole church. And uh, due to the fact, due to the fact that, that Paul had heard it and he was now writing it in a letter that was to be read to the whole church. If you want to keep a, a disagreement private, you don't read it out to the whole church. And yet Paul does that because clearly it seems that the whole church was now being affected. And he's imploring these two women to sort it out in a public letter written in a way that was going to make sure that if you didn't know in the church, you were going to be held accountable at some way. And what this kind of highlights is that even those who have worked in ministry, even perhaps at a high level of ministry, we're going to have disagreements. It's, we, we come from different backgrounds. We're all at different spiritual levels of growth. We all have different understandings of what, what should be done and what could be done. But, and, and there will be disagreements at any level of ministry. But it also shows the importance 
of treating one another with love, treating each other with compassion and treating each other with patience because we recognise very quickly that our Christian witness is now at stake if we hang on to these things. Ephesians 4, Paul also says to them, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Deal with the problem. He's telling uh, the church at Ephesus, he's talking to these two women in Philippi. Jesus even made it very clear that we need to extend love to one another when he said in John 13 a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I've loved you that you might also love one another and by this by your love to each other you will know that all will know sorry all will know that you are my disciples our Christian witness is evident by the way that we regard one another that's what Jesus is saying if you have love for one another you will be known as a disciple of Jesus Christ. The whole underlying message of the church is to preach peace with God and to come to this point of reconciliation. To be reconciled, as I said before, firstly with our Heavenly Father, but to live at peace with one another. How can we be an example of humility if we don't have peace with one another in chapter 2 we read these verses Jasmine read this verse this is one of the ones that she did she says let each one of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interests of others and let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus verses 4 and 5 Verse 6 onwards goes on to then explain what the mind of Christ was all about. Paul says, have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ was about having one of humility, not having to be right all the time, not having to be first all the time, but to be prepared to give up that is rightly yours in order for the betterment of each other. Those things are what, what Jesus, or those are the characteristics that Jesus is described as. Not needing to lord it over people, but having, and not having our own way, but becoming a bond servant. In fact, it's used in chapter 2, and it's the verse that we, we talked about it in, in the first week. A bond servant, someone who willingly submits to our master because and recognizing out of it's not out of obligation but desire and joy the word bond servant so why is it important for unity and peace to to abound well we've kind of talked about it but it affects our christian witness it affects how others see the church and if it becomes public, and it will, Eurodia and Synergy needed to be of the same mind in the Lord. The testimony of the church is dependent upon our witness. If the church is not getting along, where are we going to be? What are we going to be looking like? Where are we going to be standing in the community if the church is at odds with, each, with itself? How the church acts 
the world will react. And there's never been a truer statement, I believe. When the church is in disarray, it's going to be a reflection in what we see in society. How can we begin to resolve conflict? And I think that one of the quickest things that we can do, or it begins with understanding that we may not agree with the issue. We may think we're still right. We may know that we're still right. But we do have to agree that we need to have, on, on the needs of humility, love, compassion and patience, that we are to work and to give in or to build each other up. We might not agree on the issue, but the characteristics, having the mind of Christ, ought to be something we agree on. So even if we don't agree on this particular thing, we both know that we've got to come in humility. And we both know that we've got to perhaps take our higher standing and, and let it go. And we've got to look out for what's going to be right from each other at that point. We need to put the work of the gospel above any disagreement because it will affect our Christian witness in our community. Reconciliation can only work if we are going to put the good of the, the work of the body of Christ and, and what God has called us for above all our personal agendas because we're going to have a disagreement at times. And we all, I think we all want that. We all want to live in harmony with one another. And I don't know that there's anything going on in our church. I'm not suggesting there is. But I'm just saying one of the ways that Satan will use to divide the church is for these things to be held on to. And it will affect our Christian witness. And here's the other thing, that having conflict is not necessarily wrong. Sometimes having conflict can actually be beneficial to the church. It can, it can bring and make the, the cream rise to the top, so to speak. It can actually help us clarify what's right and what's wrong. So it's not that conflict should be avoided. It's how we, we respond to the conflict. The reality of conflict is that it's highly likely in the body of Christ because the church is made up of different people, imperfect people at that. And there will be times when division on issues will occur. We won't always understand things from another point of view until it's explained to us. But the thing we do need to remember is that the gospel is the central point. It's the gospel is the why we are here today. The gospel is the why of why we share. The gospel is the why of why we gather around one another and fellowship with one another and pray with one another. It's why we, we go and want to live in a way that's righteous and holy and, and live in purity and, and wisdom and integrity. And scripture gives us some really clear instructions on how we should work toward having peace with one another. Some of these instructions are found in the very letter sent to Euodia and Syntyche's church. Um, it says in... In Philippians 2, we read this a few weeks ago, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, 
But in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others better than himself, and each one of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Paul's already said that in Philippians 2. God's word just does not allow for things like gossip. It doesn't allow for arguing. It doesn't allow for fighting over personal matters of the church. Instead, we are called as his believers to encourage one another and to pray for one another and bring our requests and needs before the Lord and prepare ourselves and each other for the Lord's return, which is imminent, by the way. He is coming back. Hebrews 10 tells us, uh, summarizes that. He says, let us not neglect, the writer of Hebrews says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now the day of the Lord's return is drawing near. It's imperative we do that. The, the, every day that we live is one day closer. And no one knows the day nor the hour. You know the day of your birthday, I believe. And if, when you were young, may not so be when you're older, but certainly when we're younger, we count the days down to our birthday or we, we look forward to this day of our birthday. And it's a day we know that's happening. We can count down the days. We can't do that with Christ's return, but the enthusiasm should be the same. The enthusiasm should be equal or better than their birthdays, even well, no matter what age. I still look forward to birthdays. And you can still give me presents. It's okay. <laughs> if you want to count backwards in your own life, that's okay. I feel sorry for you. No. Uh, it's... God wants us to live in harmony with one another. So the beginning of reconciliation starts with each one of us recognising that the issue is not nearly as important as the welfare of the message, the gospel message that we have to proclaim. We need to make sure that we're restoring, that restoring peace is a high priority in our life and because unresolved conflict does affect the testimony of the church. And the problem of not reconciling properly is the next point that I want to share with you today. And is that if we do not reconcile or work out this properly, the problem will only grow. It, doesn't, it never goes away. It never just disappears. What begins privately will rarely stay private. And they t those things that are disruptions or disagreements, they tend to spread. When, when they, and when they do, they typically involve a whole heap of people because I'll say something to someone and someone will talk to others. And we end up that before too long, there's this whole uh, group of people. And whatever the issue was between these two women, it was no longer just their issue. As we said, Paul already knew about it while he was chained up. And if the church didn't know about it, they were about to because the letter was going to be read. So what perhaps started out as a little spat between these two women now had escalated to the point where the whole church was now engrossed or involved in this disagreement. 
What was once private was very much now a public affair. And the reality is of this, that was sinful, that's wrong. And the, the, action, the other side of that is that's the reality of sin in a nutshell. It, it's, things that we do that are wrong begin as something very small and they will continue to grow unless it's dealt with. That's what James says when we're talking about sin. He says, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. It starts with something small, but then when peace has, well, sorry, when peace, when desire has conceived, when we actually start to to work on that or to, to talk about that, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it full grown, brings forth death. It gradually grows. It's the nature of sin. It will not stay small. The very nature of sin that it cannot and will not stay hidden and it will come out somewhere, nor will it stay it's small in the way that we would like it to because biblically speaking, there are two ways that we can deal with sin in our life. And don't, don't get me wrong, the, an idea of disunity is sinful. And there are two ways we can deal with that. We can cover it in love because Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, he says, above all things, with ferv- have fervent love for one another for Love will cover a multitude of sin. We can cover it in love and just love the other person and just live with that mindset. Or, biblically speaking, we could confront it in love because Galatians actually tells us, and, and Matthew, Jesus in Matthew talks about it, but in Galatians says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken by any sin, trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul is saying to the Galatian church that there is times when it needs to be confronted. Jesus said, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Go and deal with it while it's still small. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother back. That's Jesus' words. They are the two, in fact, they're the only two biblical processes for dealing with sin in our life. But the problem is, we choose the third option. And the third option that we tend to choose is we stew on it, meditate on it, grumble about it, talk about it, gather others around us, gather a little pity party around us, a sympathetic group of people, and, and, and what happens in that process or that third process of of trying to deal with the problem is that the church becomes divided it becomes divided in some ways three different ways those who who support one side those who support the other and and those who actually see the the difference of both and think they're both wrong we now have a three-way church and that's the that's the path that we seem to always take or I find myself finding myself having to deal with that path And we've got to be careful about that. But in saying that, there are some who God has placed on their heart to be peacemakers. And while others might not want to get involved in a conflict, even at the early stages, the reality is that people in conflict 
will sometimes need to hear the counsel from people with godly wisdom. And if God has put that into you, if he has given you the gift of being the peacemaker, then there are going to be times when when we're going to have to just confront the issue and talk to them. Uh, Paul deals with it with with Synergy and Euodia. He says in Philippians 4.3, he says, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who laboured with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now, we don't know who Paul's specifically talking to. It may be an individual. He just calls him my true companion or her my true companion. He could have been talking about an individual. He may have been talking about the, the body of Christ as a whole. It does, it's not clear enough for us to understand that. But what is clear is that Paul has an urgency that these women receive help for what they're going through, that someone gather them together and say, you know, we need to help you work this through. We need to bring peace out of this. It cannot continue because it's only going to grow. The peace, the witness that you are going to be displaying to the the world around you is deteriorating and we need to make peace or seeking peace our highest priority. So it's possible that we, there are people even within our church, and I'm sure there are, who God has placed on your heart that to be a peacemaker in some of those circumstances. The problem that we have if, we're, if we are a peacemaker is that we don't like to choose sides. We, we don't want to be seen to be choosing one side over another. And sometimes it's hard to have the right perspective. And it's really hard to have the right perspective if we've already chosen a side to be on. And these women were clearly both Christians. Paul just says their names are written in the book of life. They're both Christ followers. They've worked tirelessly with Paul. Their names are written in the book of life and they, they have worked with him to further the kingdom of God in ministry. So this is not something that these women are arguing about, as I said before, in heresy or anything like that. And so what Paul does is encourage his true companion or th- their true companion Perhaps someone who has been with this, these women through the entire ministry, someone that knew them well, someone that he could see could carry the gift of peacemaker to help them in the proper way. And there may be some of you who are just that, peop- just that person and you can see things that God has given you this unique ability to see Uh, something that's rising up. It's not public yet, but you sense it, you know it. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, if God is placing that on your heart, then then talk to the person, the brother or the sister, to help reconcile the differences that that they may be having. Be the peacemaker. We need to be a church that seeks the peace of God. And I know that we're not a huge church, but even a church of our size, it's, it's possible, probably likely, that there are disagreements that are going to happen from time to time if they're not happening now. And I know for a fact that there have been times past when I have not dealt with conflict well as a pastor. And I don't enjoy 
that part of ministry dealing with conflict at all. I, I detest it. It's hard. It's sometimes just time-consuming. It's frustrating. It, it feels personal. It just, there's a whole heap of reasons why I don't enjoy dealing with conflict. But we need to know that how to deal with it when it happens, because it will happen. And we do need to confront it. If we, if we love the church, if we love the body of Christ, if we love our Heavenly Father, our brothers and sisters, our, and all of the rest of that, if we love each other enough, then we need to make sure that we step in and we create or we create the opportunity for peace to reign within the community of, of the believers. And if you need to talk with anyone, then do that. You might come up to them and say, you know what, I think you need to talk to that person, him or her. And that's not going to be an easy thing to do as a peacemaker because you're probably going to wear the the response of that. But look what Jesus says about peacemakers in Matthew 5. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they're called, they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. So don't just write it off. Don't be, don't be fearful of that because God has given you, if you are in that position and you sense that, God is on your side. He is going to stand with you. Maybe you're in conflict with someone right now or maybe you know people that are in conflict with one another right now. I want to give you just a couple of things as we finish off here this morning to keep in mind as you work through these things. Firstly, keep communication doors open. Talk. Don't withdraw. Don't just take off. Don't just ignore but keep the doors of communication open to allow for the reconciliation process to take place. Secondly, be honest with yourself and with each other. Acknowledge when you're wrong and forgive when you're right. Thirdly, attack the problem, don't attack the person. Deal with the issue. Don't push down the other person. While it's hard not to do both in the midst of conflict, I understand that. It's really difficult not to do both. But we need to learn to separate those two things. And that's where the help of others as a peacemaker may actually help us to actually put things into alignment and keep things right. Fourthly, make forward steps to move forward toward reconciliation, not division. Don't keep it in your heart that this is going to end up, we're just going to leave or they're going to leave, it's going to be one or the other. But we work towards reconciliation. Our testimony to the community itself will shine when we begin to act biblically in the process of and being loving towards our brothers and sisters. Our Christian witness is at risk. And lastly, if God has given you, any of you, the role of being the peacemaker... Be strong and courageous with that. Do what you need to do in love with the goal of the outcome being that God gets the glory. It's not about choosing sides. It's not about being the, the big person or the bigger person. It's about God getting the glory. And I want to encourage you, wherever you are on, that, on those list of things and, and whenever the opportunity comes up, it will come.
And I think half the battle for us as Christians is, is not being caught off guard, right? And if we can expect or know how to react or respond in those circumstances when they come, then we're nine-tenths of the way of getting through it. As I said right at the beginning, I, I love my church family. I love you guys. I don't always agree with you. You don't always agree with me. I understand that. Sometimes I tick you off. Sometimes you probably tick me off. But that's family, and I love you regardless of that. But I want to make sure that we don't allow those things to impact in the gospel that, and the, the call that we have as a church here to testify to the community that God has placed us in that Jesus is not only alive, but he wants to be part of what we're doing right now. And he wants to be part of people's lives. Salvation is available for each and every one of us. So let's love one another. Make it a priority to be, make peace where conflict exists. Remembering that unresolved conflict affects the testimony of our witness and the church in our community. And accept help from those if necessary, to help us get through the problem and, and not allowing it to grow out of control. I do pray that God will bless you this week. And whether it's conflict today or it's something in the future or it's an unresolved thing from the past, let's get be right before God in all of us. Maybe there's some lessons there to help in, in a different context as well, but I know that God will bless you as you faithfully serve him. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word and just a couple of verses and two women can teach us, Father, the importance of living at peace with one another. Help us to be true to the word. Help us to be faithful to your word. Help us to honour you in the way that we live out your word. And Lord, whether we're here today online or we're here in person where we're listening in for the first time or we're here for the first time or we've been on both those platforms for a very long time, Father, help us to live at peace with one another and to honour you to be living in a way that will bring blessing and honour and glory to your name. And I pray that for this church. I pray that for the church of the Capricorn Coast. I pray that for the church of Jesus Christ across this planet. That your name, Lord Jesus, would be lifted high. That we would not need to cover our face in shame. But that we would be able to bow down and worship you in spirit and in truth. With a clear conscience, knowing that we have fulfilled the command to live the way that you have called us to live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.